Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Friends, if you'll turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We will begin in just a moment to continue our exploration of the book of Exodus. Before I do that, I just want to take a moment, though, just in worship, um, to, uh, to require your compassion on something, to call your appeals for mercy on something. Um, just before worship, you may have noticed across the, the news circuits uh, that there was a big earthquake in Indonesia this morning. Uh, 7.0 earthquake, and at the time that I read it before coming in, those are conditions that could potentially result in tsunami activity. I don't know the update as of 30 minutes, an hour ago, 45 minutes ago, but I do think that it's, it's worthy of taking a moment and lifting up a prayer. I'm just moved by the fact that, um, you know, in, in our... Now, traditional service today, we're singing, I will not be moved because of God's unshakable character. In the contemporary, we're singing this morning a new song called um, Everything, Everything is Sacred. And if both of those songs are true, uh, then what's happening right now among the vulnerable in Indonesia, those who suffer from the earthquake and the potential uh, result of any kind of aftermath or flooding or, or tsunami, the truth is, Every one of them, sacred. Every vulnerable person and family, everyone afraid, those who have lost lives, those who may be afraid for their lives, sacred. In the eyes of God, so the God who will not be moved, let's pray to him that he might be merciful and, and, and compassionate and to care for those whom he loves even now as they suffer. Can we just take a, a moment to pray? Good and loving God, we pause for just a moment to just... Um, grown a bit with those who on the other side of your planet are, are hurting and who are vulnerable and uh, at risk. We pray for safety. We pray for recovery. We pray um, that we recognize we live in a world with shifting tectonic plates. We recognize we live in a world that is vulnerable to these natural conditions. And yet, Lord, in the midst of those natural phenomena, we pray that you, in ways that are beyond the natural, would intervene and save and care and protect those whom you love. And, 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 and we don't need to appeal to you to be you, but maybe we need to appeal to us to be mindful of what breaks your heart and where you are focused this morning, Lord. So we lift up our prayer of compassion and hope and we lift it in the name of the one who taught us to be those things. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So today, we do continue in our study of Exodus. We're in chapter 20. 
Chapter 20 of Exodus is where we find the Ten Commandments. You know this is in the middle of a several-month-long series in which we have examined the first 15 chapters of this amazing book are about liberation, about getting set free from that which enslaves. Then chapters 16, 17, and 18 are about uh, the wandering in the wilderness. It's about a people's experience that when they are set free, we all, when we experience true freedom and liberation, we begin to go through a season in which we ask, are we sure we want this? Because a freed life, a liberated life in the way of this one who set us free means that we have to live in accordance with the character of the one who has set us free. And that puts us on the hook for some things. And then in chapter 20, 21, 22, 23, we see now that God is creating a covenant with God's people. And right in the middle of that major section is chapter 20. And in chapter 20, that's where we find the Ten Commandments. So we have kind of slowed down a little bit, and we're taking each commandment one Sunday at a time. And we have said something about the anatomy of the Ten Commandments. The first three are dedicated to the love of God. The last six are dedicated to the love of your neighbor or your people. And that fourth one right in the middle, the call to remember Sabbath and keep it holy, is a call to come into the context of worship because it's in worship on Sabbath that we are provoked to learn how to do both, love God and love people. So today we come to the sixth commandment. Now don't blink as we read it because it's really short. Here it is in chapter 20, verse 13. This is the text for the day. You shall not murder. So if you'll stand for the benediction, we'll be dismissed. (laughs) Not so fast. Stop it. Not so fast. You shall not murder. It's interesting. The, the, The command to not murder is the cleanest, simplest, shortest one out of all ten. And it's just four words in the English language. It's even shorter in Hebrew. It's just two words. Two words in the Hebrew text. Don't murder. And on the surface, you and I may see something that simple, that clean, crisp, and say, okay. And we, we feel pretty good about it because my guess is most of you didn't kill somebody on the way to Sunday school this morning. You may have felt like you wanted to. You may have had that kind of morning in your car before you got out of it in the parking lot. But maybe you didn't. And, and the trouble with people like you and me is that we, we read a text like this that says, don't do something that is so clearly, blatantly, obviously wrong. And we say, well, okay, we won't. And on the surface, we don't. On the surface, we don't. We, but the way we react to a, to a command like this reminds me a little bit like the way, well, like the parable of Jesus. Jesus told a parable in which he said, look, one day these two guys go down to the temple to pray. And the two of them go to pray. And one of them stands there. He's a Pharisee. And he stands there and he says, oh, God, thank you uh, that I'm so awesome. Basically, thank you that I don't sin like everybody else. I, listen, I give my tithes, I, I give my offering, I, I, I pray, I, I fast twice a week. Thank you, God, that I'm not like this tax collector standing over here. Because the tax collector had a very obvious sin. It was so blatant, so in your face. Everybody knew publicly what this guy's sin was. He, he cheated, he was a crook, he he, he, was a, he was a scandalous kind of turncoat. He, he cheated people, 
out of their own money. And, and there he is, the, the tax collector. And, the, and Jesus said he's, he's so broken that he can't even look up to heaven. And his head is down and, and he's just beating his chest. And he's saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, between those two men, it's that guy who goes home justified. It's that one who goes home at one with God. And I think about that parable when you and I come to the sixth commandment because you and I have a tendency, we can, we can have a tendency to say, oh, don't murder. Well, okay, easy. I won't. I haven't. And we tend to have kind of an overinflated sense of, uh, well, we feel good about ourselves. And, and, and in the Bible, there's a word for that. It's called self-righteousness. We're like, well, I'm right. I'm good. I, 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 according to the measurement on the surface, I've not killed anybody, so I'm just fine. But I believe if we look even just a foot beneath the surface, we may find that, that we are more in danger of violating the sixth commandment than maybe any of the other ones. I want us to look deeply, and the way I want us to look deeply, I want us to give, I want to give you like three words to help you as we're taking notes, as we're moving through this one very short passage today. Today, I want to talk to you for just a little while about powder kegs, homicidal hearts, and what else are we talking about? Oh, death by a thousand paper cuts. Powder kegs, homicidal hearts, and death by a thousand paper cuts. Let's pray. And now, O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts simply be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray that you would now bless the words that proceed from my mouth as we attempt to interpret your sacred word so that in hearing, we are never the same. Amen. Powder kegs. Of all the commandments in the scriptures, this is one of the very few, one of the few that Jesus actually speaks about directly. He addresses this particular command, the sixth command, you shall not murder. And because Jesus is our interpretive lens through which we see all of Scripture, I think it's important to know what he said about this one since he chose to talk about it in his teachings. We find it in the middle, right at the beginning actually, of what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And quoting this command to not murder this is what our lord said you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times you shall not murder and and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment but i say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister you will be liable to judgment and and if you insult a brother or sister you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your, your gift at the altar, and if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, then come and offer your gift. 
Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him. Or, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last pennies. Jesus says, look, I know that you've heard it said. Everybody knows what it says. Don't murder. But he says, I say to you, there's more than one way to kill a person. Because the problem is not just murder, it runs to places on the interior. And see, you have heard it said, but I say to you, that's the phrase Jesus uses. And I, I love what Richard Rohr says about this. He says, if you want to, you can take the phrase, uh, but I say to you, and replace it with the real problem is. So Jesus says, you have heard it said, uh, do not murder. <laughs> but the real problem is, Anger. Anger. Because anger that is left unchecked doesn't just stay anger. Anger that is unbridled, unexamined, unchecked, well, it moves from angry to bitterness. And bitterness gone unchecked turns to resentment. And resentment gone unchecked turns into hatred. And hatred grows into a seething, seething hate that causes you to think things you would have never thought, maybe even plan and plot things you would have never planned or plotted, maybe say things that you never thought you would say about him or her or them, until the only thing left is actually taking life. So Jesus introduces what I'm going to call this morning a continuum of violence. We often think that as long as we stop short of making the final decision to kill somebody, that we're fine. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Murder doesn't stop or start with your hands. It starts with your heart. The continuum of violence. Well, it's in, in all of us. So he says, you have heard it said, don't murder. But I say, don't be angry. And you say, well, isn't angry normal? Isn't that okay? Yes, it is. In fact, I think that anger, anger is, is completely normal. It's not only normal, but, but angry uh, emotions are at some moments the best expression of your, your love for something. To be angry is not only normal, but it's, at times anger is not an absence of love. It's actually an expression of love. So in other words, I, I, I think so highly about this thing or this relationship or this event or this movement or this moment that we're in. I think so highly of it, and, and yet uh, it's been breached. It, it's been violated, and something's gone wrong, and I'm angry about it. Not because I'm just mean. I'm angry because I have such a high hope for the thing, for the relationship, the the, the, the business, whatever. I'm so, I'm so hopeful for it that it's not gone well and my anger is an expression of love. So even in the scriptures, even in the Bible, there is allowance that is made to be angry in ways that are mature and healthy. I mean, like, like Ephesians. In Ephesians, we read these words. Uh, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And I love that verse because... I. Every time I think about that verse, I remember being in Tennessee, serving a church in Tennessee, and every time I would preach from Ephesians there and it came up, don't let the sun go down on your anger, one of my favorite couples ever, Hoyt and Bernice Shamblin. Aren't those just great names? Hoyt and Bernice. 
They had been married at the time 65 years. And Bernice, every time I would say it, the joke never got old. She, she would say, well, we know the Bible says don't go to bed mad, so we just stay up and fight all night. Isn't that great? Even in the Bible, there are accommodations made for healthy, mature ways to express anger. But Jesus is talking about something that runs deeper and it's sinister and it, it just kind of sneaks up on you. See, in the Greek language, there are a couple of words that are used to describe anger. One of those words is thumos. And thumos literally means anger or it's an outburst of passion, but it's a kind of anger that kind of flares up and goes away. Think of like a, a magician's, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the paper, flash paper that they use for tricks. He lights it, it just kind of flares up and goes away. Or you could, you could think about a straw or a piece of hay. If it's on fire, it'll flare up, but then it consumes itself and goes away quickly. That's thumos. Thumos is not the word Jesus used when he said, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say, do not be angry. He's not talking about that. He uses another word. In Greek, the word is orge. Orge is a word that runs deeper. It means angry, yes, but it's a deep anger that, 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 virtu, uh, that ventures into vengeance, violence upon an innocent. A deep, brooding, seething anger that just won't go away. That you carry around with you and not only do you not deal with it, you don't address it, you don't confess it, you don't confront it, you don't do anything with it, but moreover, you actually feed it, you fuel it, you let it grow because it kind of feels better to have this thing inside that you won't let go than to let go and not know what the next step is. We walk around in this life filled with that kind of anger. Can I tell you where I saw it not too long ago? I was, I was driving over here into a parking lot, you know, the LA Fitness parking lot. And I was going there to get a haircut or, or eat at the rest of Chipotle or something. I don't even remember. I'm listening to a podcast on my thing, radio, just doing my thing, right? Just doing my thing. And here I, here I am, and I'm just kind of, and it's kind of congested right there as you turn off of McGinnis Ferry into this little bottleneck, really. And so, so I usually go pretty slowly. So I'm just kind of cruising along, turn left to get toward the restaurant or whatever it is that I'm going to, and I'm in my lane, Diane, I'm in my lane. I'm doing my thing, and I'm, I'm going slow, and yet the car in front of me stops, and so I stop, and I'm feeling like somebody over here, like, you know when you know somebody's staring at you? Like, it's just kind of like, just, you know, darts, arrows into your, and I look over, and this guy is like seething, like shooting darts at me, he, and he's just glaring at me, and then he starts to, to talk. Like he's yelling at me. His veins are popping out. He's, he is yelling at me, and I'm like, what is, what is happening? And so I turned down my podcast. It was nice. It was, you know, just some, about a personality typing system, and, it was, you know, and I turned down, and I'm looking over, and he's still yelling. He's like, mm, 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 and doing all kinds of things, and, and I'm like, and I look, at, and I, I do this, my window's closed, and I do this. I look over and I go. <laughs> On the inside of my car, this is what I heard. This is what I heard. 
how, good sir, have I offended thee? You know, this, this is the heart where it was saying, how hath I offended thee, good brother? You know, this is what, on the outside of the window, though, I think this is what, I think this is what he saw. You want a piece of me? Because I'm not kidding you. At that point, I'm like, you know, what's yeah, And at this point, he gets out of his car. Woo! And he's just finished working out because he's, he's still all swole, you know, got all kinds of supplements running through his body, you know, I guarantee. And he gets out, and this guy's a big dude. He's got muscles in places that I don't have places, right? So, and he gets out, and literally he comes out, and he's like stomping, oh, come on, and calling me everything but a Baptist preacher. And I roll the, the window down, the meanwhile, the podcast is still, and perhaps your personality is to, you know. And I, and I rolled the window down, and I said, is there, is there a problem? And then, then he said, you tell me. And he spits on the ground and turns around, gets in his car, and takes off. And I'm like, well, so much for the podcast. You know, I, and I get, I get to thinking, you know, that may sound on the surface like an example of Thumas, a blow up. He blows up and then gets over it and moves on. But I think it's more like Orige. You know Why? Because he wasn't mad at me. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't mad at me. I was the matchstick on the powder keg that he'd been carrying around for Lord knows how long. And there are so many of us who go through life carrying around this, this big barrel of gunpowder, this powder keg within us. Perhaps we've gone years without ever addressing or confessing or confronting the thing that has really set us off. And so it just grows and it gets worse. In other words, it's just anger, but it's not just anger anymore. It's moved down the continuum of violence. And inside every one of us is a continuum of violence. And we comfort ourselves by saying, well, I've never killed anybody. Well, no, not yet. But anger that goes unchecked becomes not just anger anymore, which leads us to the second movement of the sermon. Not only are we all carrying around from time to time powder kegs on this continuum of violence, but it leads us to the second part of the sermon, which is we all can have homicidal hearts. Inside of you and inside of me right now, you have the capacity to either make life or take life. Right now, you do. I mean, as part of being born in the image of God, you have that power. You really do. Through our actions and through our words, we can make life or we can take life. But here's the problem. We have bought into a lie. A lie that as long as on the outside where everybody can see me, it looks as if I'm obeying the command of God. It looks as if I'm in accordance with the will and desire, the character of God's own way of life. As long as on the outside it appears that way, we have convinced ourselves that it doesn't matter what we think or feel or believe on the inside. And so we will carry around with us all kinds of emotions and all kinds of feelings and thoughts about people and persons but as long as on the outside we behave one way, we think that we are safe. But Jesus believed that what mattered most was the heart. The heart. The thing that happens to us in the heart. This is why he actually addressed the words that we use. 
This is why in that passage a moment ago, he's actually talking about the speech that we use. He says, look, I know you've heard it said, don't, don't murder, but I say don't be angry. Not only that, watch your mouth. Jesus said, he says, don't, call, don't insult someone. And the word he uses in Aramaic is raka. Raka means a word that is intended to demean or diminish the, the personhood of another. We have raka words in our language too. One of them that is emotionally charged is the N-word. Think about that for just a moment. And all that, 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 that word will arouse in the heart a word that is intended to speak down and to denigrate the personhood of another human being. And Jesus said, when you use words like that one or fool, when you use them to put down the personhood of another human being, it's not just that you're being rude. It's that you are revealing the character of the condition of your heart. Because whatever it is that is in the heart has a way of seeping out into plain view. This is why in Luke chapter 6, this is the way he put it. The good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. In other words, whatever is in your heart is going to come out. So it's not enough to just not murder. We have to be responsible for what happens within the human heart. It may be that you would never raise your hand in violence against another human being, but if you have become comfortable thinking of them and speaking of them in such a way as to demean them in your heart, you have moved one or two paces down the continuum of violence. And now what may have been anger in the beginning is more than anger, and you're somewhere between inaction and action. When I come to a text like this, i got to tell you, as a pastor, I struggle with this because here's the deal. Half the time, my vocational calling is this. Half the time, my job is to remind lost people that they're not as far away from God as they think. But the other half of my time is spent reminding religious people that they're not quite as close to God as they think. Come on. Put another way... This gospel that we preach is, is, is a gospel that at times, I know what my job is on a Sunday morning. My job is to comfort the afflicted, but on other days, it is to afflict the comfortable. And here you and I are around the sixth commandment, and we are perfectly content gathering around it and saying, oh, no murder? Great. Look at us. But Jesus says, yeah, pump the brakes. Not so fast. Think for just a moment about the words we use to speak of each other. Can you just think with me for a moment about this? Even think about the context of your neighbors and your friends, your family. What are the words that are used to speak of the people with whom you disagree? People who don't look like you, think like you, believe like you, practice like you. Well, what are the words that we use? Especially, God, especially in this overly politically charged uh, era in which we find ourselves, how do your neighbors speak of the people on the other side of the aisle? How do you? How do we speak of, of the people who voted for the other person or who part of the other party or who are part of another movement? How do you speak of them? 
Because it's perfectly fine to have passionate disagreements, even angry, healthy, expressed anger over the disagreements we have. But it is not okay to allow ourselves down the continuum of violence to the point where we may not do them physical harm, but we're going to whip them with our tongue. And we're going to call them words that denigrate their personhood because we, too, are participating in this continuum of violence without even knowing. It's not enough, beloved sisters and brothers, to stop short of killing someone. But Jesus says we have to remove, we have to rid ourselves of even the smallest, tiniest expressions of anger that go unchecked. We have to remove ourselves, remove out of our heart even the tiniest expressions of anger before they blossom into something that's way more than anger. Which leads us to the last movement of the sermon. You know, you know we, we do carry around powder kegs within us, and, and yes, we can have um, homicidal hearts if gone unchecked. And I want to suggest it may also be because many of us have experienced death by a thousand paper cuts. Death by a thousand paper cuts. You know, there was an ancient form of execution called death by a thousand cuts. That from the ancient of days, it would be a methodical removing of limbs, a dismemberment, cut after cut until someone just kind of bled to death. A recent, uh, recently, I heard a, one of my favorite writers and poets describe uh, death by a thousand paper cuts. To put a little humor in that, but to make a bigger point. Any of us can get a paper cut, and by itself, it's not much. By itself, it's not much. Get two paper cuts, and it's a little bit more irritating. Get a thousand, ten thousand at once, and now you've got a bit of a problem. Death by a thousand paper cuts, and I just want for a moment to speak to those who are on campus today who are hurting. Because it may be that you've been going around for some time and you realize year after year, your entire life has been this gathering of 10,000, 10 million tiny paper cuts. It's one insult after the next, one slight, one rejection, one injury, one woundedness. And one at a time is not so much. You can handle being rejected, being turned away. You can handle being lied on. You can handle being gossiped about one at a time. But the cumulative effect of a thousand paper cuts leaves your heart <laughs> wounded. And there may be somebody on campus today and your heart is covered by a million tiny cuts. And it has done something to you. And you don't know why it is, but you're just mad all the time. You're just mad all the time. And, and you don't know what it is. It's not one thing. But why is this person always irritating to me? And why is this event always something I just, it just boils my blood? Why am I always so mad? And it might be that the cumulative effect of a, a thousand paper cuts has brought you to the place where now your only option, your only option that you've learned through growing up is to cut back. 
You insult me, I'll insult you back. You speak to me, I'll speak back. You harm me, I'll wound you back. And now it's possible that you have become the very thing that wounded you in the first place. People look at you and like, why are you so angry? I'm not angry. Why are you always in such a bad mood? Why are you so critical and negative about every person around you and every group of people with whom you don't agree? Why is it? And you, on your best days, will stop and look in the mirror and say, I don't know. I don't know how I got here. But I am. I'm just mad at everybody, and I don't know how to get out of it. I am here to tell you as your pastor There is a way out of it. There is a way to be set free from this perpetual anger, this kind of vortex of violence and vengeance in which this has been done to you, and so I'm going to keep on doing it back to whoever harmed me. It's a vortex of violence. You keep getting spun around inside it. It's a cycle that keeps going, and you don't know how to get off. You don't know how to stop the merry-go-round, and I'm telling you there's a way. There is. Forgiveness. Forgive him. Forgive her for the things she said. Forgive them for the thing they did. And I know that last week we ended up talking forgiveness, but I got to tell you this week as I was preparing this sermon, I felt like this weight in my heart as if God is, is. leading me to say some things to you about forgiveness because maybe somebody on this campus is experiencing that as the primary struggle that keeps you angry all the time. And you're not so worried about it because at least I haven't killed anybody, but no, but forgiveness. And I know that it's not easy. It's easier said than done. It's an everyday rhythm of relinquishing. It's an everyday action, a ritual of holding up your scar before Christ, it still stings, Lord. But I pray that you would wash over every wound with your healing because I don't want to be angry anymore. In preparing for the sermon, I came across this this quote about the same thing that I cannot possibly say any better than Tim Keller And he's talking about the same thing, about how we kind of get swept up in this cycle and it never ends. And so you just keep getting angrier and and meaner and more negative. and, and, And he says this, there is another option. You can forgive. And I want, you, I want you to dial in to these words and just drink them in as if they are, they, are, they are medicine to you. Listen to what he says. Forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone when you want to do so with all your being is agony. It's a form of suffering. This, this holding back. You, you not only suffer the original loss of happiness, reputation, and opportunity, but now you forego the consolation of inflicting the same on them. You are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. Now watch this. It hurts terribly. And maybe the only thing that you came here today to hear is somewhere, somebody to look you square in the face and say, we know it hurts to not pay back. 
It hurts to not gossip back, to not uh, cast a, a stone back. We know that it hurts terribly. But he, Keller goes on to say, many people would say it even feels like a kind of death. Yes. But it is a death that leads to resurrection instead of the lifelong living death of bitterness and cynicism. Beloved, it is a death. If you choose to get out of this vortex of violence and, and vengeance, it is a kind of death because what you're doing is you're saying you can have the last word. Okay. You win. It doesn't mean they win. What it really means is that you win because you got off the merry-go-round. But it's like a tiny death because you absorb like Christ did for humankind. You stop the cycle because you absorb it into you and you give it to Christ upon the cross. And in so doing, here is my only encouragement to you. If it feels like a death, if it feels like a tiny death to get off this cycle, this vortex of violence and vengeance, just understand that it is a death. But hear me, Christian. Hear me, Christian. We are resurrection people. And if we believe nothing else, the one thing we believe is that whatever gets buried with Christ doesn't stay dead long. That means if you bury yourself with Christ, you are raised up to walk in newness of life. You can be set free and live the resurrection life, free of bitterness and anger, and free of this, this continuum of violence that is drawing you closer and closer to this vortex of vengeance that just kills everybody. So maybe if that's where you are today, I just, I just want to tell you that it begins with prayer. Maybe somebody on this campus needs to say something like this to the Lord our God. Lord, I recognize that I've been carrying around this barrel of gunpowder. I've been carrying around this powder keg and it's been building for some time and just the tiniest little thing, it sets me off, but I don't want it to be that way. I recognize that I've got within my own chest a homicidal heart. I realize that even though I don't perform actions of violence, I, I have a violent tongue and a violent attitude and a violent set of eyes when I see people who I don't like or agree with, even though they were made in your image and your son suffered to redeem them. I, I, my violence is all over. I recognize that. But I'm confessing to you, God, that it may be the thousand paper cuts that have wounded my heart, so I give my heart to you today. I give you my heart in all of its woundedness just to see what you might do with it. If you're ready to pray that prayer today, bow your heads in this moment. God, this is our prayer. There are wounded hearts all over this campus and all over this world. But we recognize that the only healing for the truly wounded heart is the one who was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. We pray that you would take our broken hearts and take the woundedness that keeps us angry and keeps us vengeful and heal them this day. We pray these things believing that you are our pathway to life, to, to let us live. In the name of Christ, amen.